Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, as always, joined by the one and only Wes Hodkowitz, coming to you from our humble abodes as we have been for the past several weeks. And Wes, we'll pick up today's show right where we left off on our last show in reviewing the draft class. We got through the Packers picks on the first two days. So on the third day of the NFL draft, the Packers drafted a linebacker from Minnesota, then three consecutive offensive linemen in the sixth round, followed by a safety from TCU and then an edge rusher from Miami. What did you make of the players the Packers brought in on day three? Yeah, that day three, it's always kind of a handful of everything, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's what can you find, what traits are out there, and how do you think these guys could potentially help you in the long run? Because as much as people sometimes can say, ah, what is a fifth rounder going to do? What is a sixth rounder going to do? Sometimes those players become Corey Lindsley or Desmond Bishop. So right. uh, starting off with uh, Kamal Martin, if I can start there, yeah. uh, I, I really like this prospect for a lot of reasons. One, um, if you know anything about covering athletics in the Midwest, uh, Martin dealt with a plight of a lot of uh, Midwest prep athletes in that he was really good in his area. He was appeared to be going to a Mac school to play quarterback. And then lo and behold, the offer comes in from Minnesota to go play linebacker there. It's very similar to the route that Alec Ingold took from Bayport to almost Northern Illinois to Wisconsin. And now he's a fullback. Uh, for the Oakland Raiders. So those are the type of things that are going to happen when you're not that big five-star recruit. And I think Martin made the most of that during his time at Minnesota. Six foot three, 240 pounds, nice long arms, uh, a willing tackler, a guy that can help you on special teams. He did have the knee injury last year that sidelined him for five games. But when you're looking for a mid-round inside linebacker, I think he checks a lot of the boxes. And at the very least, uh, this is the guy that could potentially maybe step in there and do a role that B.J. Goodson left last year uh, when, when he went to sign with Cleveland, you know, a first and second down role. Brandon Ross was quick to mention he also could play dime linebacker. We'll all see. I mean, it seems like he's a perfectly fine coverage linebacker as well. But overall, for a fifth-round pick, you're looking for traits, and Martin certainly has those. Yeah, I think for me, if there's one player from the day three group that has a chance – to maybe find a role on offense or defense aside from just special teams, but finding a role from scrimmage as a rookie, it might be Martin from Minnesota because Packers have Christian Kirksey at inside linebacker. I think Martin gets thrown right in there into what is going to be a developing competition between Oren Burks, Curtis Bolton, Ty Summers, and now Martin for maybe who's going to be that, that first partner with Kirksey when Mike Pettin wants two inside linebackers on the field, say, in some first and second down situations. So um, while we heard from Brian Gutekunst is if Kamal Martin gets back to being the 2018 Martin before he was playing through and ultimately shut down by a knee injury in 2019, that uh, the Packers potentially got really good value here in the fifth round. It sounds like from talking to, uh, to Brandy and Ross, the Packers Midland scout, who was uh, one of the scouts involved in, in um, uh, acquiring or, or drafting Martin, the, 
the toughness that he showed in 2019, you know, playing through the injury until ultimately he couldn't do it anymore. That was something that really stood out to them that it's, it sounds like this is a pretty tough customer. He also sounds like a guy who's a, who's a, a leader type on special teams that he took a lot of pride in that phase of the game. And, uh, and I think he, you know, you know, PJ Fleck, the head coach at the university of Minnesota, this guy, yeah, the row the boat, right. But Kamal Martin sounds like, you know, the, the type of guy that, uh, that, that PJ Fleck would really like and would be a leader on a team coached by a guy like that. So I think this is a really interesting pick to be able to get on day three for green Bay. Yeah, and the bigger thing is, Mike, the the Packers with this inside linebacker position, it's going to be brand new this year. Mark, you know, Blake Martinez, as I mentioned, um, you know, BJ Goodson, they're both gone. So this is all going to be the land of opportunity now for how these guys step up and fill that void. Certainly, it starts with Christian Kirksey. He was the free agent acquisition. He's the veteran. He's the guy that can play all three downs and has the history with Mike Pettin. That's the starting point. But we saw last year how much they needed B.J. Goodson to play. I don't know his exact snaps off the top of my head. I'm guessing it was somewhere in that 400 range. So whether that's Oren Burks or Ty Summers or Curtis Bolton or this young man, you know, Kamal Martin coming in there, all of it, they're all options. And you need options at that position. You also need youth. And I think the Packers have a nice balance of that. Yeah, well, moving on to the sixth round, the Packers drafted three consecutive offensive linemen in the sixth round. I actually looked it up, Wes. The last time the Packers did that, three consecutive offensive linemen in a draft, 1966. You have to go back to the Lombardi era for the last time that happened. They won a Super Bowl in the next of, year. Yeah, they did. They certainly did. Um, but uh, some interesting interesting prospects here in that every guy has a, a, a different story amongst these linemen. You have John Runyon Jr. from Michigan, whose father, uh, very accomplished pro, and then went on to be a, a, a congressman in Washington, D.C. You have uh, Jake Hansen, a four-year starter at center for the Oregon Ducks and a, a powerhouse team out there in the Pac-12. And then Simon Stepaniak from Indiana, who is coming off of a knee injury. He injured his knee in bowl prep uh, for Indiana, so he did not get to play the final game of his college career. And his timeline is a little bit uncertain coming off of a pretty significant knee surgery over the winter. So a lot of different stories here with, uh, with these three guys, what stands out to you the most? Well, I want to talk about running, but first off, you, you do feel for Stepanek because here's a guy that this, he would have been an, you know, an earlier day three pick, maybe even at the end of day two, but then he has this knee injury because he's trying to play in a bowl game for Indiana. If you know anything about Indiana, those bowl games are coveted. They didn't come around a whole heck of a lot for a long right. time. Right. So, so you tip your hat to him. Brian Gutekunst even mentioned it. If he is actually healthy, he the, probably is not going to be there in the sixth round. 37 bench reps. Uh, one thing all three of these guys have in common, they all played a lot. There's a ton of experience. There's a lot of starting experience. What I really like about John Runyon, though, is that – his story, everybody would just think, okay, he's John Runyon Sr.'s kid, a 14-year NFL pro, a former pro bowler with the Philadelphia Eagles, a guy that was just an absolute pillar at right tackle for a decade. And it's just like, okay, here's his son. I'm sure he's just a five-star recruit. He's a big you know, guy. He had to earn everything he got at yeah. Michigan. He was a three-star recruit, I believe, going in there. It took him a couple of years to find a role. But eventually they, they pushed him in there at left tackle and he stuck. He started 
two seasons at left tackle in the Big Ten. I think that says a lot for him. And now he's probably going to push inside at the next level. How, how do we know that? Matt LaFleur even basically said it. You very rarely <laughs> hear the coaches talk about, well, yeah, we're going to see. No, they want to look at him as an interior lineman. And Mike, you know the history of that. The Packers have a boatload of these guys at, at the you know Power 5 conference level, at the MAC level, um, down at US, or UCF with Josh Sitton. Guys that played tackle that pushed inside and became Pro Bowl guards in this league. Now, I'm not trying to set the bar too high for John Runyon here. He is a six-round pick, but he just seems to be a guy that fits that lineage of a prospect that could potentially go down that road. Yeah, you have to really, you have to really be intrigued by a pick like this, and and we'll see. I mean, I th- I think uh, um, you know he having that experience at tackle in a conference like the Big Ten, even if he is making a position switch, you have to believe he'll be uh, he'll be ready for something like that. Um, you mentioned the the 37 bench press reps by uh, by Stepaniak from Indiana. The interesting thing there. He did that about six or seven weeks after having knee surgery. Now, I know you're not lifting weights with your knees when you're bench pressing, but in terms of actually being able to train and get ready to do the bench at the combine, he didn't have a whole lot of prep time for it coming off of the knee surgery, and he did 37 reps. I actually talked to his position coach at Indiana on the phone yesterday for a story I'm going to be working on in the coming days, and he said, There's no question that he would have been somewhere in the 40s for the bench press reps if he had actually been at, you know, full strength. So, and 37 was one of the top numbers put up by any offensive lineman. So no lack of strength there. And quite frankly, the same with Jake Hansen, the center from Oregon. He did 33 reps on the bench. And, you know, at 6'3 and around 3'10", 3'12", right in that range, that's pretty big for a center. Now, again, this is a guy, maybe the Packers are going to try him at guard um, because that that would be a, a awfully awfully big for a center in terms of you know the mobility and everything that that you need there. So some uh, some interesting uh, prospects here in terms of what direction the Packers decide to go. Yeah, and I gotta I gotta tell this story, Mike. You know I have to. A lot of people are gonna be like Jake Hansen from Oregon, a you know multi year starter for them, the Ducks. That's great. I'm really excited for Jake. I hope he has a nice long career. He's from Eureka, California, Mike. That's where my family is from. So you might remember two years ago, I took two weeks of vacation. The only back-to-back right. weeks of vacation I've taken yeah. since I've come over to the Packers. It was to drive to Eureka, California. That's a 32-hour drive from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Ooh. So for his sake, I hope he got a head start You know, when he eventually makes his way to Green Bay here. But two uh, – a blue collar area, Northern California. This is, this is not, you know, the, what you would think of, of, you know, the OC and uh, you know, guys on surfboards and 90 degree. It's, it's a chilly kind of, you know, coastal climate up there. Yeah. And he, and there isn't a whole lot of spotlight shining. And this is a guy that earned an opportunity at Oregon. And once he got there, man, he stayed, he stayed in that starting center role. He gives you some versatility inside We'll move on here, but all three of those offensive linemen, Mike, they all have different traits. Runyon ran a really good 40. The two other guys, the 40s, not as fast, but then put up a bunch on the bench reps. That's what you want. You want to have three guys that you're, you're throwing some coins in the middle there yeah. and hoping that something pays dividends. Yeah. All right. Well, with regard to the seventh round, Vernon Scott, a safety from TCU, and then Jonathan Garvin, an edge rusher from Miami. 
I'm going to turn this over to you, Wes, because by the time the seventh round of the draft rolled around, I was running on fumes. I'm sure you were <laughs> in some respect as well. And I was uh, trying to put together my, my thoughts for a, a wrap-up story at the end of the whole thing. So I gave a very cursory look at, at the seventh round picks, I confess. So give us uh, your quick uh, Cliff's Notes version on Vernon Scott and John Garvin. You, you think you were running on fumes. I think <laughs> I, I basically had one-on-one -on -one interviews with these guys uh, on the conference calls. I think everybody was on fumes at that point. Everybody uh, bailed out, yeah. Yeah, it was great, though. Very nice guys. Uh, I, okay, I want to start with, uh, with Vernon first, if I can. Here's the thing about Scott that is just amazing. This is a guy that was not on the NFL radar a year ago. He was mostly a special teams player for TCU, he got a couple he, – he got a little bit more defensive action his junior year, but had never really been a starter. Well, this year he finally gets that opportunity. He, he's able to get that big interception against Oklahoma, the, the huge rival for the Horned Frogs, 98-yard interception return for a touchdown, one shy of the school record. He, he makes the most of that chance. And then here we go. We, he doesn't get a combine invite. He doesn't get a pro day because of this whole COVID ep epidemic. So he's literally sitting on his aunt's couch in Dallas, Texas, wondering, all right, when's my phone going to ring? Is my phone going to ring? And more likely than not, I'm just going to have to sign a, a UFA deal. The Green Bay Packers found this kid. And if you dig a little bit deeper, there's a lot to like in his story. Good size for the position really good versatility and all the interviews he did leading up to the NFL draft. He talked about, I'm hoping that teams look at my versatility and feel like I can play in the box. I can play in the slot. I can play high safety. I can play low, can play strong. And then he also plays on the core four special teams units for TCU. That's what you need to make it as a seventh round pick. Good friends with Ty Summers. We wish him well now that he gets his chance in green Bay. Jonathan Garvin is a fascinating story. And as I wrote in my seventh round story on Saturday night, the polar opposite of Scott. This is a guy that played as a true freshman on defense. He, he went out for the draft after his true junior year, had a big sophomore year, 17 right. tackles for a loss, five and a half sacks. They call him the spider because of his size. He will not turn 21 until later this year. He is young. He has potential. And when you think about those conversations we've had with Mike Smith and how excited he's been about Rashawn Gary, Tim Williams, and now you get a kid like this in that room. I have to imagine he obviously wasn't running down the hallway at Lambeau Field this year, but wherever his house is in the Green Bay area, I'm guessing he was pretty amped. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll be curious to see just when you talk about a guy coming off the edge, that kind of speed. Obviously, it's a position the Packers already have plenty of depth at. So there'll be time for a guy like Garvin to uh, to kind of feel his way and figure it out in the NFL, as you mentioned, as a very, very young guy. So I want to get to because we talked on Monday about how this draft did not go as we expected. It did not go as anybody outside of the confines of 1265 necessarily expected because the Packers did not draft a wide receiver, did not draft a defensive lineman and did not draft a cornerback. All of those, I think we were expecting the Packers to select at some point. I want to start first with the wide receiver position because both Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur made it pretty clear on Saturday night. I mean, yes, they had some wide receivers targeted. Things did not fall their way in that regard. The trade up for Jordan Love in the first round, you sacrifice a fourth round pick, you know, that hamstrings you a little bit in terms of being able to move around later in the draft. So all of those things factored into it, but they are, they are, 
have the confidence and they are banking on the acquisition of Devin Funches, continued growth from Alan Lazard, MVS, the return of EQ St. Brown, Jake Kumaro, obviously in that mix as well. Out of all the comments, Wes, with regard to the wide receivers, the one that stood out to me the most was when Matt LaFleur was talking briefly about Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And he said, as a coaching staff, we are going to be all over him to maximize, to get the most out of his ability because they see the talent, they see the ability. There have been, obviously, the flashes of production over his first two NFL seasons. That comment stood out to me maybe more than any other that was made about the, the receivers the Packers have coming back. Yeah, every offseason, there's probably about five comments that get made uh, throughout the course of it, whether it's from the GM, the head coach, something you know on social media. And they tend to get brought up once the season begins, once time moves on. That was a very salient point that I felt that Matt LaFleur made, a very mature point, because this isn't all on Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Sure, some of it is. He needs to be able to, to be more consistent. But he has a wealth of ability. The Packers need to pull it out of him because we saw it in spurts in 2018. Last year, he just, after those first three games, he just wasn't able to get that confidence back. They need to find it. I think I was telling you at the end of last season, I think he just needs one big catch. I think he needs one big play. Now his route running needs to get better. You know, he needs to be able to, to shore up that side of this thing. But he is always one play away from being in the end zone, and that has to intrigue you. To the second point about the receivers, I get it. Everybody wants a brand-new toy when they go to the store. Yep. But you have to also understand the Packers found something in Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard didn't matter who they took. They could have taken T. Higgins. They could have taken Denzel Mims. They could have taken all these guys. Alan Lazard's going to start for this team next year. He's earned that opportunity. He and, and obviously training camp will have to play out, but he's going to be at the start of that line right behind Devontae Adams when we get back into training camp next year. Secondly, Devin Funches. He's still only 25. He'll turn 26 now, I think, this next month. He's played a lot of football in his five years, last year being the lone exception because of the collarbone injury. Right. Devin Funches is not some guy they brought off the street because, hey, we need a receiver. This guy appears to be tall. Let's just throw him in there and let him compete. Devin Funches is another guy that's going to be at the top of this depth chart because a year earlier, I'm not going to get into the numbers, but the Indianapolis Colts, Paid him a nice sum of money to come in on a one-year contract. Yeah, this did. is another prove-it deal for him. But this is not some Mike Spofford, Wes Hodkowitz walked on the football field and, <laughs> well, they're going to be cut in three days. Devin Funches is very much a part of this puzzle. And, yes, I get it. I appreciate it. Everybody would have loved to have a receiver from this beautiful class of receivers. Beautiful is a big word these days. I, I think that would have been great, but that's not the reality. The reality is the Packers – felt like the value wasn't there when they were picking. They weren't going to draft receivers late just for the sake of drafting them. Yeah. They're going to trust what they have in-house, and that's a lot of prospects. Yeah, and there's a couple of unknowns here in the mix. Obviously, I mentioned EQ St. Brown coming back from the knee injury, and then uh, Reggie Bajelton, the signing from the CFL, put up some monster numbers in Canada. Packers are going to see what they have there. That's that's another one of these uh, these great unknowns. I don't want to I don't want to talk him up too much or make any promises, but uh, but he's definitely someone to watch. Um, I want to talk also about the move the or I should say maybe the non moves on defense. No defensive linemen, no cornerbacks. Um, I, you know me, Wes, I like to read between the lines. I like to read the tea leaves a little bit in terms of the comments that we get. And the more I hear Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur talk about the run defense and the fact that a defensive lineman was not selected, 
I think there was somewhere along the line, maybe it was right after the NFC Championship game, there was a conversation between Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin about what happened with the run defense in San Francisco and that there are some things schematically that they can do to fix some of these issues. And the other thing I will throw in there as well, Rashawn Gary, the first round draft pick from last year, did not play a whole lot as a rookie. This is a guy that I think, depending on how you want to move around Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary is a guy who can move around the defensive front. Rashawn Gary could be a piece to what the Packers are going to do on run defense in 2020. Just a suspicion that I have. Yeah, it's a good suspicion to have because I think when you look at how this draft played out, they are looking you just you, you're right you read between the lines you try to understand what the motivations were the packers are looking at their last two draft classes to be the push that the defense needs to bring them over the top there's something that lafleur and Petten found with that run defense that made them believe it's not personnel related if it was then you would have seen a big free agent come in you would have seen a big draft pick used they are staying in-house and you wouldn't do that if you didn't feel like you had answers so that will be interesting to follow but secondly, Mike, yeah, it's Rashawn Gary, it's Kingsley Kiki, it's Oren Burks, it's Josh Jackson, it's Chandon Sullivan. It's all these young guys on the roster at these various positions that they will be counting on to be the push that this defense needs to not only you know be in that top 10 where they've kept talking about where they want to be, but just being more consistent in how they attack this thing on a week-in and week-out basis. Yeah, I mean, we heard with regards to the cornerback spot, that nickel corner spot that some people are asking about. We heard what sounds like a pretty strong vote of confidence for Shannon Sullivan and for Josh Jackson. Now, maybe Brian Gutekunst still has plans to go out there and sign Sherman Williams. We don't know that yet. It sounded to me like he was a little lukewarm on that idea. But at the same time, you know, maybe he's downplaying his hand a little bit because if he's like, oh, yeah, we'll go sign Sherman Williams. Well, suddenly the price tag goes up, right? Enjoy I mean, that Tremont's negotiation. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, have fun with that. So uh, that, that's one of those things. We'll wait and see how that how that shakes out. But um, the Packers, the, the decision makers here, the, the Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur at the top of the football operation, in the, at, at the end of the day, this draft was about, in, t- in terms of the, the greatest impact on the 2020 Green Bay Packers, it's going to be about the progress from within, about the young guys who need to, I, and I don't like to use the word potential all the time, but fulfill their promise. They have a lot, they have a lot of promise. They have a lot of capability. It's time that, uh, that they get closer to that maximum level. And that's, uh, that's what the coaching staff and, and the rest of the football operation is going to try to get out of these guys moving forward. Yeah. Sometimes you, the decision you have to make is whether or not the car runs, right? I mean, if you buy a car, is it going to be able to get you where you need to get you? Or do you have to go get another one? You, you, you also can't just keep buying new cars every year. You got to eventually stick with one. So I think there is that understanding that there's patience that's required. There's a lot of potential amongst those players. So uh, giving them an opportunity now to maybe you take that next step up. That's going to be the, that's going to be the direction of this thing. Because when you first, you know, start addressing the defense of the fifth round, you have to look from within to, to look for your improvement the following season. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team, the draft picks, everything that's going on on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.